Shabbat Shalom. It's good to be speaking again after I don't know how many weeks. Only a few days ago, as you probably know, we woke up to the disturbing news that the police had finally arrested the suspect who phoned in more than 100 bomb threats to JCCs all around the U.S., Nashville included. And I say disturbing because we are talking about the Israeli police arresting a 19-year-old Jewish Israeli living in the city of Ashkelon. Do you know that? In a world filled with white supremacists, with all sorts of anti-Semites, and with people using a twisted version of Islam as an excuse for their radicalism and violence, the wave of anxiety and fear that we all went through in the last couple of weeks came from our midst, from our homeland, from one of ours. And that is so, so, so sad. In a way, it reminds us that at times, evil can be closer to us than we would like to think. And that's a pretty hard slap in the face, especially if we are used to seeing the world in black and white, in good versus bad, in us against them. Life is way more complicated than that. And this Israeli teenager, with so far unclear motives, brings the conversation to a different place. It's not only about outsmarting the outsiders, but about recognizing that within our walls, we have plenty of people trying to harm us, whether as Americans or as Jews. From a different perspective, the upsetting news of this past week is connected, I believe, to the Jewish idea of creation in general and to that famous biblical verse in the book of Proverbs that says, Mavet Bechaim Beyad Alashon. There is a verse in the book of Proverbs that says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So let me explain. Every morning, today included, we begin our fila, our davening, our morning service, with Psuche de Zimbra. And the first thing that we say when we pray Psuche de Zimbra is Baruch She'amar Ve'aya Ha'olam. Do you remember? Not that everyone shows up that early, but eventually, once. So we begin our morning saying, Baruch Shamar Ve'ayahulam. Blessed is the one who spoke, and the world came to be. Following God's footsteps, we are told that our words can create worlds, and that our words can destroy worlds. 
that the way we communicate with others can strengthen bonds, and by the same token, it can erase those bonds. It can multiply our, our relations, or it can kill them all. So with that in mind, think for a second about this Israeli guy. Think for a second about the damage this guy locked in his bedroom created with his terrible words and threats. Think about the fear and the anxiety, about the harm, about parents with kids in schools that had to be evacuated. Think about that for a second. But now that you already thought about that, I want you to think for a second about your own use of words, about the way you say things when you are mad, when you are frustrated, when you are sad. Because you don't have to be a really bad guy or gal to say things which are capable of terrible consequences. And the truth is that once we recognize evil out there, Judaism invites us to check the potential for evil within. Within our people and within ourselves. See it outside, check for it inside. Don't pretend that evil is only to be found somewhere outside. Try to see what of that amount of evil, even in less quantities, lives within yourself. Maybe that's why in Purim we speak about taking Amalek out of ourselves. And now, coming Pesach, we speak about taking or getting rid of the Hametz inside ourselves. Judaism believes that we need to work first and foremost in our own selves. So as we come today to the end of the book of Exodus, you might recognize that the idea of creation is at the core of the first two books of the Torah. We usually see it pretty easily with the Genesis and the creation of the world, but it is no less of a reality with Exodus and the tabernacle. Moreover, even though we tend to forget this insight, but it's a very, very important insight, as the Torah unravels, the text seems to be transferring the department of creation from God to humankind. How many chapters the Torah dedicates to the creation of the world? But one was pretty close. How many chapters the Torah will use or dedicate to speak about the creation of the tabernacle? Lots. It's more than one, it's more than two. We have the second half of the book of Exodus as how you create the tabernacle, and most of the book of Vaikra, which we will begin to read together next week as the you know, the manual of operations for the thing that you just built. 
There is a transfer of responsibility and of emphasis from what God creates to what we can create if we dare to. So the first two books of the Torah offer us a glimpse into the tensions between cosmos in the original sense of order. Cosmos at the beginning, you know, in, in Greek, is related to order and chaos. In the beginning, as you know, the world was a mess, but God brought order to creation. If anything, God is making order. The first day, he does this. The second day, God does that. And, you know, it's like it's a parent cleaning the messy room uh, of uh, his or her daughters, like Jessica does all the time uh, with ours. That is what God is doing in Genesis chapter 1. But then... It was a mess again, and the flood came, do you remember? Bringing everything back to square one. Again, it's like the parent cleaning up the room of their, you know, daughters. And three days later, it's a mess once again. It's like, now we go back to square one. That ongoing tension between creation and destruction continues throughout the whole of Genesis with the Tower of Babel on one end and Abraham on the other end, with patriarchs devoted to God on the one hand and dysfunctional, almost on the verge of collapse type of families on the other hand. Cosmos, chaos, order, and a whole mess. Similar pattern comes to life as soon as we begin with the book of Exodus. In parallel to the messy world, that we saw at the beginning of Genesis. At the beginning of Exodus, the life of the people of Israel becomes a mess with a new Pharaoh and his taste for slavery. Later on, we won't read about the universal flood, but we will witness how the Red Sea will close on the Egyptians, and with that, we will get a new beginning for the Israelites. And then, we won't speak about Abraham discovering God, but rather we will read about the whole people who were present at Sinai to receive and to welcome the Torah. You see the parallel? But again, when you read both books with these glasses, you may also notice that even when, with the, when the Torah wants know, with this complex dance between cosmos and chaos, when the goal that the Torah is giving us as human beings is to aspire for a bigger and deeper understanding and involvement and commitment, for serious growth and serious learning and become better at every step of the way, that's the goal. But at the same time, the Torah, in the way the Torah is written, seems to be pretty much aware of pitfalls and draw, uh, say, drawbacks along the way. So it's not a straight line going forward, always climbing, always shining and hopeful. The Torah doesn't shy away from showing how chaos comes back to threaten the cosmos at each and every step of the way. 
That's why the Torah doesn't shy away from teaching us how many times the people of Israel kvetched about anything and everything. Okay, you have everything, and yet maybe you're not so happy with yourself. So you kvetch. And that's why even that progress that seems to be happening right after the Torah is given, the story of the golden calf is told. Okay? Cosmos and chaos. Cosmos and chaos. Again, it seems as if the Torah is telling us that we should hope for a better future, but that the road won't be easy, it won't be inevitable, and it certainly won't be lacking major obstacles, starting with our own selves. And maybe, with that in mind, that is why after the golden calf, the people of Israel were summoned to build the tabernacle that we are reading today. Not only to expiate for the sin of idolatry, not only to bring back cosmos after the chaos, but also to create the structure, a physical representation and a constant reminder of how easy it is to go astray. And maybe that's why the tabernacle was a portable sanctuary. If we are going from here to there with ups and downs, if we are a wandering people with a wandering God, then we need to have a movable presence with us and within us. Or as Rabbi Jonathan Sachs writes in one of his books, and I'm quoting now from him, at the heart of Genesis and Exodus are journeys. Abram's journey from the east in Genesis, Moses' journey from the west in Exodus. There is, the narrative implies, a way back from sin to harmony, from exile to return. Seen from this perspective, the sanctuary is more than an atonement for the sin of the golden calf. It is a kind of atonement for the sin of Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. After the flood, God accepts the fact of human sinfulness. After the golden calf, God accepts the fact of Israel's sinfulness. When people sacrifice, when they offer something of themselves to God, God grants atonement. The second tablets that rested in the ark as a permanent sign of divine forgiveness are thus, for Israel, the counterpart of the rainbow in the days of Noah, with its promise that God would never again destroy all life. God is just, but God forgives. Human beings are sinful, but humans can be forgiven. And that's the end of the quote. And with that quote, I want to say the following. As we continue to journey, we don't have a tabernacle to carry with us anymore in our ups and in our downs. But we have the Torah, and we have Jewish values and Jewish roots and Jewish tools as well. And we have congregations, and we have a community of like-minded people of family, 
of friends who are there and will be there for us at all times if we need them. And as we reflect about good and evil, about creation and destruction, about the power of our speech, the power of our deeds, the power of our daily actions, Judaism is reminding us to see outside, to check inside, and to find those anchors, both physical and spiritual, that will help us bring more cosmos and more order to our lives, and hopefully some order and some cosmos to this sometimes more than chaotic world. We have something to do. Let's, you know, get the job done. Shabbat shalom.